welcome to Hope Awakens. So glad you've joined us again, or for the first time tonight. If you missed last night's exciting program titled The Place of Safety, just go below the screen to catch up programs and click on program number 17 to see it. It was amazing. John Bradshaw's program tonight is titled The Final Invitation. But before that, let's go to Robbie for more questions. Good evening, Robbie. Good evening, Rebecca, and to you, our viewers at home. Great to be with you again. We've got a couple of questions tonight. Question number one. I can see the Bible says we should go to church, but what is the purpose of going to church? Great question. The answer is found in Hebrews chapter 10, verse 24 and 25. Notice what it says. And let us consider one another in order to stir up love and good works, not forsaking the assembling of ourselves together, as is the manner of some, but exhorting one another and so much more as you see the day approaching. So it's pretty clear from the Bible we should be fellowshipping together. Question number two. Didn't prophecy end with the Bible? That's what many people think, but let's have a look at a couple of Bible passages. First, in Joel chapter 2, verse 28, it says, And it shall come to pass afterward that I'll pour out my Spirit upon all flesh. Your sons and your daughters shall prophesy, your old men shall dream dreams, your young men shall see visions. So clearly in the Old Testament, there was a teaching that prophecy would continue beyond the Old Testament. Next, we notice in Revelation chapter 12, verse 17, the Bible says, And the dragon was wroth with the woman and went to make war with the remnant of her seed, which keep the commandments of God and have the testimony of Jesus Christ. We know that the testimony of Jesus Christ is in fact the spirit of prophecy based on Revelation chapter 19. So from the beginning of the Bible all the way down to the end, it's very clear that the gift of prophecy will always be among God's people. Question number three, I thought only men were prophets in the Bible. Well, the Bible also indicates that there were women as well. There was a woman called Deborah, Huldah, and Philip in the New Testament had four daughters with the gift of prophecy. So it's pretty clear that God has female prophets as well. Well, that's all our questions, Rebecca. Back to you. Thanks, Robbie. Keep sending us your questions and Gary or Robbie will answer them as much as they can. If we don't answer your question live on the program, someone will contact you with an answer. Well, let's go straight to John Bradshaw. Well, let's pray and we'll believe that God will speak to us. The Creator God is going to connect with us in His Word. Let's pray. Our Father in Heaven, tonight we come to you in the name of Jesus We are grateful for the Bible, and I pray that as we look into it tonight, you will speak to us. Guide us, we pray, in Jesus' name. Amen. The Ledger, that's a newspaper in Lakeland, Florida, reported a few months ago that a Florida teenager was in a local guitar shop when something happened that he wasn't expecting. The 18-year-old student would go into that store every day and spend time playing a certain guitar, a guitar he would have loved to have owned, but that $700 price tag meant it was out of the question for him. Now, as he was playing one day, a man that he didn't know came into the store, took a guitar off the wall, sat down next to him, and for 90 minutes, they played and talked together about music. Now, when the young man was about to leave, the unknown man said to him, hey, If there's anything in this store that you would like to have, what would it be? 
Well, he said, that's easy. I'd love to have this guitar. The other man, who turned out to be D. Ford, who plays for the San Francisco 49ers football team, took the guitar to the checkout, paid for it, and gave it to 18-year-old Adam Birmingham. Both men left the store smiling. The young man, not only with a new guitar, but with a renewed understanding of what it means to receive a special gift. Now, we could tell stories like that forever. Special gifts that have been given. The Cullinan Diamond, the largest uncut gem-quality diamond ever found, was given by the government of the Transvaal colony of South Africa to King Edward VII as a birthday gift. You couldn't put a price on it. The Hanging Gardens of Babylon were a gift for the homesick wife of the King of Babylon. And that's an actual photo of the Hanging Gardens of Babylon. An archaeologist discovered King Nebuchadnezzar's iPhone and that image was right there on it. Okay, maybe not. The Statue of Liberty was a gift to the United States from the French government. Of course, not all gifts are appreciated. You might have heard the story of the young man in India who was given a new BMW car as a birthday gift. His parents gave it to him. He didn't like it. He said it was too small and that he wanted a Jaguar. So he pushed it into a river. But the greatest gifts? Ah, that's not hard to answer. You might want to travel far or dress well or drive in style or whatever it might be. But the gifts that God gives are the ones that you really want. And what has God given the world? Well, to start with, in the beginning, God created the heavens and the earth. He created the world. He gave life. The sun in the sky, God made that. The air we breathe, God made that. The rain that waters the earth, God made the rain. The water you drink, the plants and the flowers that grow, the animals that you enjoy. God, God, and God again. The Bible tells us, then God said, let us make man in our image, according to our likeness. Let them have dominion over the fish of the sea, over the birds of the air, and over the cattle, over all the earth, and over every creeping thing that creeps on the earth. So God created man in his own image. In the image of God, he created him. Male and female, he created them. Then God blessed them and God said to them, be fruitful and multiply, fill the earth and subdue it, have dominion over the fish of the sea, over the birds of the air, and over every living thing that moves on the earth. You read that in the first chapter of the Bible. And then God gave another special gift. Jesus said, the Sabbath was made for man and not man for the Sabbath. Remember what God did? God knew that in years to come, people would forget God. They'd be busy. They'd be challenged. They would need to earn in order to support their families. They'd live in huge cities. They'd have to commute long distances to get to their jobs. They would be pressured and there would be financial demands and life would be filled with distractions and it would be hard to keep things in perspective, difficult to keep a grip on your real priorities. God knew this was important. So he left us in no doubt how important it was to him and how good this was for us. He said, remember the Sabbath day to keep it holy. Six days you shall labor and do all of your work. But the seventh day is the Sabbath of the Lord your God. In it you shall do no work. You, nor your son, nor your daughter, nor your male servant, nor your female servant, nor your cattle, nor your stranger who is within your gates. For in six days the Lord made the heavens and the earth, the sea and all that in them is, and rested the seventh day. Therefore the Lord blessed the Sabbath day and hallowed it. God knew that if we remembered the Sabbath day, 
there would never be an atheist because we'd be acknowledging the creator. For the same reason, God knew this would be a defense against evolution. You can't be an evolutionist and remember creation every seven days. God knew this would be a defense against stress and workaholism and materialism. It was another gift from God. When sin entered the world, God gave another gift, the gift of repentance to a world of people that had just assured that his son Jesus would die. God said to the serpent, I will put enmity between you and the woman and between your seed and her seed. He shall bruise your head and you shall bruise his heel. Now, I want you to notice something. God took the initiative in all of this. It was his idea to create the world. It was his idea to make it so beautiful. He could have made it all in black and white. He could have designed just one kind of flower, one kind of tree. Imagine that world. But instead, he made a beautiful world for us. When sin rose, he took the initiative and gave us a way out of sin. And that way is Jesus. For God so loved the world that he gave his only begotten son, that whoever believes in him should not perish, but have everlasting life. Now, that's a serious gift. You hear about people donating a kidney. That's quite a gift. The fact is, most often you can get by with just one. There are people who are organ donors. That's a fabulous thing to do. But you give organs after you're gone, so there's no cost at all to the donor. But Jesus gave his life and he gave it for a sinful world. It'd be one thing if there were hundreds of thousands of people telling Jesus to go for it, thanking him for the gift, telling him how happy they were that he was going to give them life, how they were relying on him. But the reality is he came to his own and his own did not receive him. In fact, as Isaiah said, he was despised and rejected of men a man of sorrows and acquainted with grief. And we hid, as it were, our faces from him. Isaiah 53. It's the most remarkable story ever told. People who had given everything turned their back on God, but God kept on giving. Jesus came to the world and healed and loved and helped and fed and worked miracles and offered eternal life. And there's something God did that takes this even further. Because Jesus would die and go to heaven and leave his people here on the earth. And he'd leave them with some pretty clear instructions. He said in John 13, a new commandment I give to you, that you love one another as I have loved you, that you also love one another. By this, all will know that you are my disciples. If you have love for one another. Now, let's think about that. How's that working out for you? Seriously, how are you doing with showing love to others? Not showing like to others, but showing love. And keep this in mind, that word love that Jesus used, it's not, I love my dog love. It's not, I love apple pie love. It's not, I love my spouse love. It's what is referred to as agape love. The word that Jesus used wasn't phileo, that's brotherly love, or Eros, that's romantic love. Agape is self-sacrificing love. God so agaped the world that he gave his only begotten son. It's a special, it's a special kind of love. A love where you put others first, where self-interest just doesn't come into it. Jesus wasn't thinking of himself on the cross. He was thinking of you. 
Agape is unconditional love. Unconditional love. So Jesus said, a new commandment I give to you, that you love one another with unconditional love. You know, in another place, Jesus said, if you love me, keep my commandments. Again, that's if you agape me. If you love me with unconditional love, you'll keep my commandments. See, in English, love. You love your dog, you love your cat, you love your mother and your mother. You love, you love all these things. One word, love. But in the Bible, different words for love with different meaning. You see, I wonder if that's at the root of the problem many people have. Oh, I'll keep God's commandments all right. But seeing as I only love God with brotherly love or with a sentimental kind of love, I'll keep his commandments on my own terms. Or to put it another way, I can love my brother. You can love your dog. You can love your spouse. But that kind of love isn't what we bring to God. If we love to God, it means we are saying, I'm yielding my whole life to you. I'm surrendering my heart to you. And honestly, not too many people say that. It's when we say, he died for me, so he's got my whole heart, that we're getting onto the right track with this. So we're given this opportunity to love God with our whole hearts. Jesus put it this way. He was being challenged by someone asking him what the greatest commandment in the law was. Of course, it was a trap. Whatever Jesus said, the religious rascals of the day would find fault. So when he was asked the question, teacher, which is the great commandment in the law? He answered by saying, you shall love the Lord your God with all your heart, with all your soul and with all your mind. This is the first and great commandment. And the second is like it. You shall love your neighbor as yourself. You see there that Jesus was quoting Deuteronomy chapter 6 and Leviticus chapter 19, showing us that the principles of the Old Testament are still important today. Now, if we're honest, honest, what Jesus just said is a really tall order. Keep my commandments. Love God with all your heart. Love your neighbor as yourself. Let me come back to that question I asked you earlier. How's that working out in your life? Serious question, isn't it? There are some people that are hard to love. Might be that you're one of them. And loving God unconditionally just doesn't come naturally. That's a point we'll get back to. Look, if you're a thinking person, you look into the Bible and you see it saying, here is the patience of the saints. Here are those who keep the commandments of God and the faith of Jesus. You see the Bible say, blessed are those who do his commandments, that they may have the right to the tree of life and may enter through the gates into the city. Revelation chapter 22. Speaking of the new Jerusalem, it says, but there shall by no means enter into it anything that defiles or causes an abomination or a lie but only those who are written in the Lamb's book of life. And you read about the 144,000, Revelation 14, 1. Then I looked, and behold, a Lamb standing on Mount Zion, and with him 144,000, having his Father's name written on their foreheads. You might consider what the Bible says here and say, 
how can I do that? Or how could I ever be in that group? Well, there's good news. Jesus heard your question before you asked. The thing you need to know is that it can become as natural for you to love doing God's will as it is for water to run downhill. You think God asks you to do anything that you can't do? No, he doesn't. I don't think that either. But he does say, keep my commandments. He does say, love your enemies. Actually, let's talk about that for a moment. Because this is where push really comes to shove for believers in Jesus. It's not hard to eat the right thing, do the right thing with your money. It's not hard to figure out the right day of worship. Where it's tougher, and this really matters, is how you treat others. And by the way, a non-believer couldn't care less about how you eat or what day you worship. Few people ever said, I became one of them because I lost the argument. But many people have said, I want to be one of them because they treat people well. Look at what Jesus said, Matthew chapter 5. But I say to you, love your enemies, bless those who curse you, do good to those who hate you, and pray for those who spitefully use you and persecute you, that you may be the sons of your Father in heaven. For he makes his sun rise on the evil and on the good, and sends rain on the just and on the unjust. Now notice what he says next. For if you love those who love you, what reward have you? Do not even the tax collectors do the same? And if you greet your brethren only, what do you do more than others? Do not even the tax collectors do so? And the tax collectors were despised. You see his point here, eating right and going to church and giving tithes and offerings is important, but that's the easy part. But this... Now, while I'm on the subject, I might as well just press a little further. This is Matthew chapter 6, starting in verse 14. For if you forgive men their trespasses, your heavenly Father will also forgive you. But if you do not forgive men their trespasses, neither will your Father forgive your trespasses. Could seem like an awful lot for God to ask, except that where God has asked, listen, where God has asked, He has assumed the responsibility for getting it done. Let me show you. Jesus said this in John 14, starting in verse 15. He said, if you love me, keep my commandments. And then he said, and I will pray the Father, and he will give you another helper, that he may abide with you forever, the spirit of truth, whom the world cannot receive because it neither sees him nor knows him. But you know him. For he dwells with you and will be in you. I will not leave you orphans. I will come to you. Now, don't miss this. Jesus is saying that there will be a gift given that will do the work in our lives that we cannot do ourselves. He pledges here that the Holy Spirit would be sent into the world, into the hearts of all who would welcome him, would bring into every life the presence and the power of heaven itself. Here's what 1 John 4 verse 13 says. By this, we know that we abide in him and he in us because he has given us of his spirit. Jesus tells us that he abides in us through the Holy Spirit. Back in John 14, Jesus said, I will not leave you orphans. I will come to you. He said, if you love me, keep my commandments. And then he said, 
I will give you the Holy Spirit. I will come into your life through the Holy Spirit. So Jesus enters your heart through the Spirit of God. The Holy Spirit brings to you the personal presence of Jesus. And it's Jesus in you that makes the big difference. Jesus will live his life in you. Imagine that. Imagine the possibilities. Imagine the power. Imagine the victories when Jesus is living in your life. So now, who is the Holy Spirit? Now, here's my answer. And I don't want you to miss this. Very technical answer. The Holy Spirit is the Holy Spirit. He's not someone else. He's not Jesus. He's not the Father. So, so why then, John, do you call the Holy Spirit He? Well, because Jesus did. He dwells with you and will be in you. Now, how do you know that the Holy Spirit is an actual person and not just some kind of presence? Because Jesus spoke of the Holy Spirit as having personality, as being an individual being. Jesus said, I will send him to you. He said, as we just saw, he dwells with you and will be in you. He, an individual, a person. Ah, but is the Holy Spirit God? Remember, God is a unity of three co-eternal persons, it is often said. Some refer to the Trinity. Some would call the same thing the Godhead, the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit. They are different beings, but they comprise one God. Three people, one God. Really? Three different beings? Yes, for sure. Look at this, Matthew chapter 3. Notice this. When he had been baptized, Jesus came up immediately from the water, and behold, the heavens were opened to him. And he saw the Spirit of God descending like a dove and alighting upon him. And suddenly a voice came from heaven saying, This is my beloved Son in whom I am well pleased. Jesus in the water. That's one. The Holy Spirit resting on him in the form of a dove. That's two. The voice of God. That's three. Three beings, one God. Difficult to understand? Well, no, not really. A different concept to the way we usually think, sure, but not hard to understand if we just go by the Bible record. Now, I get asked, what's the Holy Spirit made of? What does he look like? I'd love to be able to tell you that, but I can't because the Bible doesn't answer that. And that's okay. You know, it says in the Bible that God's ways are as high above our ways as heaven is high above the earth. We shouldn't be surprised that there are some things about God that are a little harder to understand. Where did God come from? Well, he's always been. Go ahead. Explain that to me. I'm okay with waiting until God explains it to me in heaven, if it even seems important when we get to heaven. I can't explain how a cell phone works. I can't explain how a satellite can send images from space down to the earth. There's a lot we don't understand, but we go ahead with our limited understanding and we are fine. The Holy Spirit is the third person of the Godhead. The Bible is clear about that, and I can accept that. It's a lot like trying to explain the wind. You can't see it, but you know what it does. The Holy Spirit is the same. So what does the Holy Spirit do? Jesus said in John 16, and when he has come, he will convict the world of sin and of righteousness and of judgment of sin 
because they do not believe in me. Of righteousness, because I go to my father and you see me no more. Of judgment, because the ruler of this world is judged. Jesus went on to say, I still have many things to say to you, but you cannot bear them now. However, when he, the spirit of truth has come, he will guide you into all truth, for he will not speak on his own authority, but whatever he hears, he will speak and he will tell you things to come. This is a gift, the gift you can't live without. One reason the Holy Spirit is sent to the world is to convict us of sin, righteousness and judgment to come. That voice that says, no, that's not God's will. That's the voice of the Holy Spirit. The voice that says, this is the way I want you to go. That's the Holy Spirit. Although I want you to be careful about that. You can't live your life listening to inaudible voices. How can you know whether the impressions you're receiving are actually from God? Check with God. Check with the Bible. At times, check with people of experience. Pray. The Holy Spirit will bring conviction and will also speak in harmony with the Word of God, never contradicting the Bible. And the better you get to know God, the better you get to know the Bible, the better you'll be able to recognize His voice. So the Holy Spirit brings the presence of God into your life and leads you in the way of God. Oh, imagine that. The power of God coming into your life. What would that be like? Well, think about where we've seen the power of God. We've seen it at creation. God spoke. He said, let there be light. And there was light. He spoke and the sun, the moon and the stars hung in space. What sort of power does it take to do that? The power of God. And that same power comes into your life when the Holy Spirit fills your heart. Look at this. Speaking of Jesus, Hebrews chapter 1, who being the brightness of his glory and the express image of his person and upholding all things by the word of his power. Do you see that? It says Jesus is upholding all things by the power in his word. You understand that. You look out, sun, there's, you look outside, there's the sun. You know it's not going to fall out of the sky because Jesus is holding it up. You're not too worried Mount Everest is going to keel over. God is upholding that. It's part of the all things he upholds. If you walk among the redwoods or some other majestic trees, you don't worry they're all going to lay down flat all of a sudden because you know God is upholding all things by the word of his power. Now, let me ask you, are you part of the all things that God is upholding? Why, yes, you are. If God is holding you up, you don't have to believe that you're going to fall down flat. Where would you be without God upholding you? The difference between one person and another, between someone who is spiritually succeeding and someone who's spiritually failing, isn't willpower. It's not moral superiority. It is whether or not God is holding that person up and God will uphold anyone who lets him do so. You don't want to be without God holding you up. Jesus called to Peter to walk on the water. No human had ever done that. Peter did so, but then he began to sink. Seems he took his eyes off Jesus. You want God to be holding you up. This world is filled with temptation. No one is a match for the devil. But we read in 1 John 4 and verse 4, greater is he that is in you than he that is in the world. That he that is in you is Jesus. And how is he in you? Through the Holy Spirit who brings Jesus' presence to your life. So the secret to living as a Christian isn't your ability, your intelligence, or your wisdom, as helpful as they are, the key is Jesus living his life in you through the gift of the Holy Spirit. As Paul wrote to the Colossians, Christ in you, the hope of glory. 
He wrote to the Galatians and said, I am crucified with Christ. Nevertheless, I live. Yet not I, but Christ lives in me. So how does that actually happen? How does Jesus live in you? He is in heaven after all. How does it work? First John 3, 24. Now he who keeps his commandments abides in him and he in him. And by this, we know that he abides in us by the spirit whom he has given us. So how do you receive this most incredible gift? It isn't something you can buy. Someone can't buy it for you. You can't earn it. How do you receive it? Luke eleven thirteen. If you then being evil know how to give good gifts to your children, how much more will your heavenly father give the Holy Spirit to those who ask him? And anyone can have this gift because anyone can ask. Rich, poor, young, old, sinner, saint, God offers you this gift, the gift that makes the difference in a person's life and eternal life. Just ask. But what happens when God speaks to us and we plug our ears? You know, if you plug your ears when someone is trying to talk to you, that person before long is just going to walk away. Matthew chapter 12, Therefore I say to you, every sin and blasphemy will be forgiven men. But the blasphemy against the Spirit will not be forgiven men. Anyone who speaks a word against the Son of Man, it will be forgiven him. But whoever speaks against the Holy Spirit, it will not be forgiven him or her, either in this age or in the age to come. The Spirit of God will call, will speak, will impress, will convict. But there are many people who won't listen or they'll listen for a while and turn away. This is where the unpardonable sin comes into being. First John 1 John 1.9 says, If we confess our sins, He is faithful and just to forgive us our sins and to cleanse us from all unrighteousness. David wrote, or the psalmist wrote, For you, Lord, are good and ready to forgive. The Bible says, The Lord is merciful and gracious. You know that, right? God is so good, so gracious, so forgiving. The question becomes, are you ready to be forgiven? That's what it cooks down to. Are you ready for the forgiveness that God offers you? Do you want that? When Peter was preaching in Jerusalem at Pentecost, just a few weeks after Jesus had died, the Holy Spirit began speaking to hearts and they sensed that this was so. It says, now when they heard this, They were cut to the heart and said to Peter and the rest of the apostles, men and brethren, what shall we do? The answer came back. They were convicted. He was the answer to the question. Repent and let every one of you be baptized in the name of Jesus Christ for the remission of sins. And you shall receive the gift of the Holy Spirit. You see that? But we can grieve the Holy Spirit. Ephesians 4 verse 30, and do not grieve the Holy Spirit of God by whom you were sealed for the day of redemption. And James wrote, therefore, to him who knows to do good and does not do it, to him it is sin. When sin approaches, the Holy Spirit is there calling you, telling you, warning you. The question is, are we listening? There's a fascinating question found in the second chapter of Hebrews. Here it is. How shall we escape if we neglect so great salvation? Notice it says neglect 
salvation. Doesn't say reject. Notice that? All of this, I'll come to God one day. That's neglecting. You didn't reject, you neglected. I'll come back to church one day. Really, I will. That's not a rejection. That's neglecting. I'll let God have my heart one day. Deadly and dangerous. You don't want to play Russian roulette with your salvation. Maybe later, maybe another day, there'll be a better time. No, that makes no sense at all. Romans 8, 14 says, For as many as are led by the Spirit of God, these are the sons of God. David, of all people, knew how dangerous this was. He was a very flawed man, a man who made some terrible mistakes. But one mistake he didn't make. He didn't ever choose not to repent. He turned back to God. He listened to the Holy Spirit and responded by surrendering again. He said, do not cast me away from your presence and do not take your Holy Spirit from me. He knew that if he didn't pray that prayer, the Holy Spirit would eventually be taken away. Now, I'm not saying you just make one error and God withdraws his presence from you. That's never going to happen. But when a person persists goes on against God, waits and waits and waits and says no and no and no. You know what happens. Hearts grow cold. Interest fizzles out. It's how the mind works. God is always willing to take you back. But if you let faith in God grow cold, it can be difficult to get the flame burning again. In the time of Noah, God said, my spirit will not strive with man forever. And then there came a time when God shut the door of the ark. The unpardonable sin The blasphemy against the Holy Spirit is not a type of sin. It's a condition in sin. When we choose not to repent, but we continue to shut God out, we're on the path to committing the unpardonable sin. It's the sin that's never confessed. The sin we refuse to let go of. It's the sin that you take over over faith in God in your life. It's hard to imagine how many people the Holy Spirit has appealed to, but they have their fingers in their ears. They're just not listening. No, no, murder isn't the unpardonable sin. God has forgiven murderers. He'll do so again. God has forgiven adulterers and he will do it again. But when we let anything come between us and God and we choose that, whatever it is, and we say we're not going to surrender to Jesus, we're not going to listen to the voice of the Holy Spirit, that becomes the unpardonable sin. And no, it's not anything you won't know about or won't think about. Don't be thinking, maybe I've committed the unpardonable sin and God never said anything. God isn't petty like that. He'll speak, you will hear, and everybody will have the choice to honor the one who died so we can live. They may choose to go in the other direction. I want to show you the unpardonable sin actually taking place in a person's life. Paul was brought before a man named Felix. Felix was the governor of Judea, Acts 24. And after some days when Felix came with his wife, Drusilla, who was Jewish, he sent for Paul and heard him concerning the faith in Christ. Now, as he reasoned about righteousness, self-control and the judgment to come, Felix was afraid and answered, go away for now. When I have a convenient time, I will call for you. Felix trembled, but he didn't repent. He was convicted but he didn't turn to God. What was happening? The Holy Spirit was speaking to his heart. He had a golden opportunity to surrender his life to God. He never did. He came close. Maybe he thought about his wife, Herod's daughter. 
Maybe he thought about how he'd have to explain his conversion to his political colleagues. Whatever the reason, the Holy Spirit was speaking to his heart. And he said, don't bother me now. Something very similar happened just two chapters later in the book of Acts. Speaking to King Agrippa, Paul said, King Agrippa, do you believe the prophets? I know that you do believe. Then Agrippa said to Paul, you almost persuade me to become a Christian. Can you imagine that? You almost persuade me. He was close, close to the kingdom of heaven, but he never, ever entered in. This invitation God gives. Have you ever thought about how truly precious it is? The gift of everlasting life. God invites you to choose to be a follower of Jesus, to let him guide you in a life of blessing. The final invitation in the Bible is found five verses from the end of the Bible. It's Revelation twenty-two seventeen, And the spirit and the bride say, come. And let him who hears say, come. And let him who thirsts, come. Whoever desires, let him take the water of life freely. And you can do that. It only takes a decision. Somewhere along the line, a person has to say, I'll let God have my life. I choose to go his way. Jesus told this story in the Gospel of Luke. He said, a certain man gave a great supper and invited many. Sent his servant at supper time to say to those who were invited, come, for all things are now ready. But they all with one accord began to make excuses. The first said to him, I bought a piece of ground and I must go and see it. I ask you to have me excused. And another said, I've bought five yoke of oxen. I'm going to test them. I ask you to have me excused. Still another said, I've married a wife and therefore I cannot come. Hard to imagine, isn't it? A man graciously invites people to a feast and they don't want to come. How do you think God feels when he looks at the earth, closing in on, what, almost eight billion people? God is calling every single one. And the majority not responding, has to break God's heart. He's calling to people to bless them. He's saying, I want, I want the best for you. We say, give me my possessions. Give me my life. Give me my wants. But don't bother me with that religion stuff. I certainly don't want to bother anyone with that religion stuff. And neither does God. But God does want to bless you and pour the presence of Jesus into your life. He wants to give you a new heart. He says in Isaiah 41, fear not, for I am with you. Be not dismayed, for I am your God. I will strengthen you. Yes, I will help you. I will uphold you with my righteous right hand. God wants to give you the Holy Spirit to make the difference in your life, to bring into your life the peace of heaven. Some of us, we're not going to have peace until we can honestly say, until we say, I'm following God. We won't have peace until we say, I'm embracing God's will for my life. He invites you right now. One day it will really be the final invitation. Tonight we have the opportunity to say yes to the God of heaven. Listen, friend, Jesus is coming back soon, sooner than we know. He's in heaven tonight preparing mansions for those who've let him take full control of their lives. Those who've said, yes, I want to follow the Bible. I want to invite you to be just that person, to say, Lord, I want to accept your great gift of salvation. I want to do your will. You've learned much during our time together at Hope Awakens. Now the time has come for you to say, Lord, 
you've got my heart. I'm accepting you. I want to be led by Jesus. I want to be filled with your Holy Spirit. What a wonderful program with a beautiful invitation from the Holy Spirit on the last page of the Bible. His invitation to come and take the water of life freely. Let's not commit the unpardonable sin by continually saying no to the Holy Spirit. We sure don't want to do that by not following what God is calling us to do or to stop doing. Now, let's make those decisions tonight, as John mentioned, decisions for eternity. I want to get a decision card into your hands tonight. And we're going to do that once again with our mobile phones. Here's what I want you to do. I want you to take out your phone right now and text tonight's code word, HELPER. If you're in Australia, text HELPER to 0428 And if you're in New Zealand, text HELPER to 875. Again, if you're in Australia, text HELPER to 0428-833-386. Or if you're in New Zealand, text HELPER to 875. Now, you're going to get a link from us, which will take you to a decision card on your phone, where we're going to ask you for some details on how we can connect with you. But at the bottom of the card, you're going to find a number of questions, which I want to take you through right now. Decision number one, I surrender to the Holy Spirit's presence in my life. If that's your decision tonight, check checkbox number one. Checkbox number two, I desire to be a part of the church that worships Jesus in spirit and in truth. If that's your desire tonight, checkbox number two. Checkbox number three, out of love for Jesus, I want to be baptized or rebaptized. If after the presentations you've seen so far, you would like to follow Jesus' example in being baptized by immersion, check box number three. And check box number four, I have some questions I'd like to discuss. If you've got some questions, put them in the space provided. Ensure you've got your contact details filled out and click the submit button. And one of our helpers will get in touch with you as soon as possible. Let's have a prayer together as we bring this to a close. Father in heaven, thank you for the working of your Holy Spirit on each one of our lives. Bless those who are making decisions for you tonight. Be with those who are still listening to that still small voice and guide them, we pray. In Jesus' name, amen. That was a wonderful program. To think that we're never alone because Jesus is with us through the Holy Spirit. Now to get tonight's study guide, just go to our website, hopeawakens.com.au and click on the free offer button. Hope Awakens has been a fantastic journey, hasn't it? Well, there are just two more programs left. This coming Friday night at the regular time of 7.30pm or 7pm Central Australia time, John will be sharing with us the ultimate destination. Then our last program will be on Saturday morning, 10.30am or 10am Central Australia time, when John will present The Journey. Good night and see you Friday night.